Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for magic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly. Yes, the same Ryan Daly who appeared on the X-Men Apocalypse Review episode of Back to the Bins. This is episode 9 of Power of Fishnets, and you know if it's an odd-numbered episode, we're talking about a Zatanna story. As you may remember, Zatanna has been searching our world and numerous fantastic realms outside our world for her missing father, Zatara the Magician. At this point, Zatanna's search is almost over. We've just got one more short stop before it ends. And I mean that, because Part 5 is both the penultimate chapter in this saga, as well as the shortest installment in terms of page length. So far, Zatanna has teamed up with Hawkman and Hawkgirl in Hawkman Issue 4, The Atom in The Atom Issue 19, and Green Lantern in Green Lantern Issue 42. Her fourth appearance, which is technically part five of the saga because of the retcon where she fought Batman and Robin in Detective Comics 336. Remember, they just made up that idea that she was impersonating a witch for some reason, just so they could use Batman later on. That'll be explained when we get to the conclusion of Zatanna's search. But anyway, after teaming up with the Green Lantern, the Atom, and the Hawks, Zatanna's next partnered up with Ralph Dibney, the world-famous Elongated Man. Now, Elongated Man didn't have his own series, so this story took place in Ralph's backup strip in Detective Comics. That's also why it's the shortest chapter. It's only ten pages, because it was just a backup. So, how did Ralph and Zatanna come together? I'll tell you all about it right after this short promotional break. Hi. I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcasts and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing! Captain William Buck Rogers. And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Daylight comes, our heaven turns to hell 
Zatanna's Search Part 5 was in the backup feature of Detective Comics 355. That book had a cover price of 12 cents and a cover date of September 1966. According to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, however, the actual on-sale date was July 28th of 1966. The elongated man story was called The Tantalizing Troubles of the Tripod Thieves. It was written by Gardner Fox, who has scripted all of Zatanna's appearances so far, but this chapter was illustrated by Carmine Infantino, the same guy who created Ralph Dibney and Black Canary and many, many other famous DC characters. Neither Ralph nor Zatanna appear on the cover, but the story does have a splash page that shows Elongated Man using his stretching powers to smash a jade coffin down on a couple of criminals. There's a text piece foreshadowing how he gets involved with the case, and we'll see that ourselves in a minute. We don't see Zatanna on the splash page, but there's a text box at the bottom that says, Featuring a Surprise Guest Star. In Rover City, a fictional locale in the DC Universe that I've never heard of before and which I don't believe will ever appear again, a pair of crooks rob a jewelry store. As the jewel thieves start to make their escape, a mysterious force lifts them into the air and carries them away, seemingly against their will. At that moment, Ralph Dibney drives by and witnesses the men floating away through the air. He changes into his elongated man costume, which isn't totally necessary since his identity is public knowledge. Ralph uses his uncanny stretching power to reach high, high into the air and grab the crooks. He pulls them back to the ground, asking for an explanation. And the crooks aren't shy about admitting that the bags in their hands are full of stolen jewels, but that flying through the sky was definitely not part of their getaway plan. Then, abruptly, the jewel thieves lash out at Ralph Dibney. They claim they have no more control of their fists swinging at Elongated Man's face than they have of their bodies floating away. And even though that's the exact same excuse given by every little boy who ever punched his brother too hard, we might want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt, because even after the Elongated Man swings one of them into a wall, knocking him unconscious, the guy's fist still reaches out and slugs Ralph. The elongated man is briefly incapacitated, and the jewel thieves float away again toward their unknown destination. When Ralph comes to, his nose is twitching at this crazy mystery. He notes that one of the crooks dropped his bag of stolen jewels. Ralph inspects a pearl that seems to be glowing, and when he holds it up in the air, he feels it tug like it wants to fly off in the same direction the thieves went. He uses this pearl to trace the jewel thieves' path through the city. And that path leads directly to Fantasy Props Incorporated, a costume and prop store catering to filmmakers and television shows. The jewel thieves arrive there to find Zatanna sitting on a jade sarcophagus. She tells the thieves that she came to the prop shop to purchase the Ting tripod, only to learn that it had been stolen. She used her magic to identify the tripod's thieves, the self-same crooks we've followed since the beginning of this story, and cast a magical spell to bring them directly to her. The thieves admit to stealing the tripod, but say it was worthless because it wasn't solid gold, only gold plating over iron. Zatanna then explains that that was a trick. There actually is solid gold beneath the iron, making the tripod worth a fortune. Meanwhile, the owner of Fantasy Props, a man named Marshall Maitland, has been eavesdropping on this conversation, and when he realizes how valuable the Ting tripod is, he pulls a gun on Zatanna. She tries to defend herself with magic, but her spells won't work. Some unknown form of magic is blocking her powers. 
Lucky for her, Ralph Dibney arrived moments ago and sussed out the situation. He recognized Zatanna from the description given by Hawkman, the Atom, and Green Lantern, based on their previous encounters with her. The elongated man jumps into action, disarming Maitland and telling Zatanna to finish that guy while he stops the thieves. The crooks try to crush Ralph beneath the jade sarcophagus. I guess they can't claim they weren't in control of their hands this time. But Ralph sidesteps the giant coffin. Then, using his stretching powers, he grabs the coffin and blocks the doorway, preventing the thieves from exiting the shop. Without the use of her magic spells, Zatanna is forced to fight Marshal Maitland in hand-to-hand -hand combat. She judo-tosses him across the room, and as he falls, a book drops out of his pocket. Zatanna recognizes the tome as the Black Magic Book of I Ching. The power of that book is what thwarted her from spellcasting before, but now that Maitland dropped the book, that's not a problem for her anymore. Zatanna casts the spell... Nam iser drapu, eb relaporp na And the shopkeeper spins like a propeller before being hurled into the two jewel thieves, knocking all of them unconscious. In the aftermath, Zatanna clarifies that she cast the spell that dragged the crooks through the air toward her, and that she also controlled them when they attacked Ralph. She apologizes for hitting him via proxy. She didn't know who she was fighting. She was just trying to shake off whatever was hindering their progress. Now that Zatanna has both the I Ching book and the Ting tripod, she'll have the power to enter the dark realm where she believes her father to be. Ralph offers to go with her and help solve the mystery of the missing Zatara, but Zatanna says it's too dangerous for a non-magic user, and she's better off going alone. I wonder if she'll regret that decision later on. Hmm. Ralph Dibney returns to his hotel to lay the whole story out for his wife, Sue. He explains the details of the case, including the shopkeeper's sudden turn to evil. Ralph reveals that Marshall Maitland used Fantasy Props Incorporated as a front for his real business, which was fencing stolen goods to the criminal underworld. Speaking of those stolen goods, Ralph purchased the glowing pearls that helped him crack the case and gives them to his wife as a present. I'm just going to assume he did this to assuage his guilt because he'd rather be in Zatanna's dark realm. Anyway, that ends part 5 of Zatanna's search. As I mentioned, it's the shortest installment in this saga. Zatanna only appears in four of the pages, but in that short span of time, she is very effective. We've seen growth from the character in every appearance. This time, we see that she's not only a capable magician, she's a good fighter. She tosses Maitland across the room with a judo throw usually reserved for Black Canary or Wonder Woman at this time. Ralph disarms Marshal Maitland when he has the gun on Zatanna, but aside from that, she handles her business in the story. She physically dominates the shop owner, and then she magically tosses his ass into the two jewel thieves, knocking all of them out. It's a great display of her powers, both the ones that we've seen before and those we didn't know she had. The story is pretty simple. If I had one complaint, the Ting Tripod is a MacGuffin that is mentioned but never seen, but even as MacGuffins go, it's really not important. It's named in the story's title, but it's kind of irrelevant. I think Zatanna could have summoned the two jewel thieves to the prop store for some other reason, or instead of seeing them robbing a jewelry store when we meet them, they could have been boosting and transporting the tripod. I mean, this isn't a catastrophic problem though, it doesn't ruin the story. I just wish the tripod had an actual purpose in the story, or else change the title. 
As for the art in this story, I really enjoy Infantino's work. The man had a long career, starting in the 40s that lasted more than five decades. He was also editor-in-chief of DC Comics for a while, but his artistic peak, I believe, was from the late 50s drawing The Flash to the late 60s drawing Batman. In this story, Infantino is inking himself, which gives the art a little rougher look. It's not as clean, but it feels a little more kinetic. I absolutely love the way he draws Zatanna. I think she looks better here than she looks drawn by Gil Kane or Murphy Anderson, which is saying a lot. Her facial features look a little bit more exotic. The fishnets look a little wilder. The panel where she tosses Maitland across the room looks awesome. There's a slight tilt to her top hat. It's just really, really cool looking. And as for the rest of the story, Infantino co-created Elongated Man, so he had a great handle on him, and he knew how to do fun, visually dynamic things with the character. I really, really like Elongated Man. His power set allows for some amazing visuals, and Carmine Infantino was certainly a master of rendering those. So... All said, I really enjoyed this story. It might be my favorite chapter in Zatanna's search so far. It's not a fantastical story. We don't get broad fantasy realms or monsters or battles of sorcery. But for such a short amount of pages, we get great action and comedy from both Zatanna and the Elongated Man. But I'm probably in the minority in that opinion. In fact, as we look at the listener feedback from Power of Fishnets Episode 7, I think we'll see that many people loved the previous chapter where Zatanna teamed up with Green Lantern to fight the Warlock of Yeast. Chris Franklin, our friend from the Supermates and Power Records podcasts here on the Fire & Water Network, said, This is my favorite chapter of Zatanna's search storyline, probably because when I got the trade paperback, I was finally able to read the original story that inspired the Justice League follow-up all those years later. Heck, for years before Green Lantern Rebirth, I thought the Warlock of Yeast could be a backdoor way to explain Hal going nuts and becoming Parallax. He does take over Hal's body in that JLA issue. I think this guy has a lot of untapped potential, and I'm surprised he hasn't been used more often. I totally agree with you there, Chris. Chris continues, On a personal note, I have always had a soft spot for this cover, ever since I realized the image of Green Lantern punching was lifted and used on my childhood set of Super Friends bedsheets. Wow, that's cool. Nice catch. Uh, Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary said, My first encounter with Zatanna was in Justice League of America issue 161, so that issue resonates with me very powerfully. It is the reason why I like that Cindella costume she wore at the time, and it is why I really like the Warlock of Yeast, probably more than I should. How much? Enough to tweet to Sterling Gates that he needed to put the Warlock into the Vibe comic, as Vibe had the power to open up dimensions. And, whether because of my suggestion or not, the Warlock does appear in a panel there. So this chapter of Zatanna's Search is my favorite as well. What I love about this chapter is that it directly impacts the aforementioned JLA-161. Clues, rifts, forwards magic by Zatanna all play a part in that book. Hey, no spoilers, Ange. I'm going to cover that issue... Uh, about two years from now. Next comment came from Darren Sutherland, who, along with his wife Ruth, hosts three great podcasts, Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Darren said, I don't remember exactly when I first saw Zatanna, and whether it was in the comics or the Batman animated series, but in either case, I always found the character to be interesting, and enjoyed it any time she showed up in a book. 
However, I never felt strongly enough to delve into the character's history, so thank you for doing that for me because I'm thoroughly enjoying getting all of this backstory. Next episode, please. Well, here you go, Darren. Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water Network said, It never occurred to me that, yeah, Zatanna joining the Justice League of America at the end of this storyline would have made perfect sense. I wonder why she had to wait so long. I mean, Red Tornado? All I can say is, had Zatanna joined the League at this time, Denny O'Neill probably wouldn't have brought Black Canary over from Earth 2. And then what would the history of these two characters look like then? Rob goes on, Gil Kane is one of my favorites, but I agree with some of the feedback that the occasional wrong inker held him back. Sid Green removed a lot of Kane's energy. In the 70s, Marvel often paired him with Klaus Janssen, which was an amazing combination. Completely agreed. Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom said, Yes, I thought I'd seen that warlock around. <laughs> okay. Clint Robison from Coffee and Comics Blog said, Not a direct comment on the episode, but the part about the history of Yeast reminded me that authors Paul and Karen Anderson wrote a four-book fantasy set dealing with the legendary Yeast called The King of Yeast Tetralogy. It's pretty dark to the best of my memory. Think Game of Thrones kind of stuff. Cool, thanks for that bit of information. And lastly, we got a comment from Martin Gray of the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl. I read this comic as a kid and was struck by the visual of the Warlock of Yeast. I agree he could have been a player. I love that Gardner Fox used actual real-world lore for this story. I'm trying to remember if Roy Thomas ever went to the same well for Eric. As the Paul Dini series came up, might I recommend it unreservedly? It's so much better than the Black Canary team-up, which was fun but rambling. Tight one and two partners with Z's intelligence, spunk, sexiness, and most importantly, warmth to the fore. By trades. I will definitely get to the Paul Dini written Zatanna ongoing series and the Vertigo one-shot he wrote at some point, but it's going to be a ways down the road before I get to those. Anyway, that is all for the comments on the website, and I want to thank everyone who wrote into the show. Thanks to everyone who liked and shared this podcast on Facebook. Thanks for all of the Twitter favorites and retweets. Thank you for supporting this show in any way. Next episode, we'll wrap up the Black Canary series that started last year. But after that, look forward to Power of Fishnets episode 11 when we come back to conclude Zatanna's search. Until then... Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at BlackCanaryFan or at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics. The views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. And since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and Eva Aisin Yad. She's a mystery to me.